Hey, Forge family. It's Tyrese here. Started last week with a, an introduction to the 66 chapter to the 66 chapters of 66 chapters of Isaiah. We're going to be studying the four servant songs that are recorded in the midst of them in chapters 42, 49, 50, and 52 and 53. In these songs, the Lord Yahweh is speaking about his servant, the Eved Yahweh. This promised one is coming to establish justice in the earth. Just prior to starting into Isaiah 42, Isaiah and God are speaking, pointing out that, number one, idolatry is silly and foolish and empty and useless. And number two, God alone is in charge of all of history by repeated evidence of his prophetic capacity. The nations of earth are trapped. They worship idols and they are under God's judgment. This plight is going to be addressed by the servant of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, last week we prayed out loud that you would amp up our discernment as we study, even as we open our hearts to you. Now, Lord, we ask for the grace to obey your Spirit's prompt. Amen. The first servant song we find is in Isaiah chapter 42. So go there now. And we start at chapter 1 here in a second. Um, it is Yahweh, the covenant-making God, who is speaking, and he's speaking to all peoples. He's speaking to all the nations. He's speaking to everybody as he addresses all mankind in those first four verses. So let's read Isaiah 42, 1-4. to He says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. So Yahweh starts here. And he starts with a command. It is really, look, see, behold, here comes my servant upon whom I have placed my grip. He says, I uphold him. Well, it's, it's, he reaches out and he seizes never to let go of this servant. Okay? And he says, I have placed my pleasure and my delight in him. I habitually delighted him from the heart. And I've placed my spirit on him. See, that presence of the spirit guarantees the outcome of the servant's task. Yahweh is saying, my servant, he will bring forth justice to the nations. And what he means there is the goyim, you know, the, the non-Israelite populations that, that are spread all over earth. 
who have no knowledge of him whatsoever and or who have rejected any knowledge of him. Comes back, he says, my servant is going to bring forth justice. Now, Forge family, this theme of justice is repeated over and over again through the servant psalms, at least three times here in this passage. And he says, this theme of justice is in need of expansion. Usually when we think of justice, it has to do with righting some wrong or bringing someone or something to a judgment for their actions. The Hebrew word here is mishpat. And it is used widely in the scriptures. Here in the servant songs, it's used 118 times as justice. It, in the rest of scripture, it's also used 51 times in different ways. Now, what that means is that the context is critical to help interpret mishpat. And I believe here, in the servant song. Justice is the correct handling. But it is active. It is not passive. And the servant of God is to bring justice to the nations, to the Goyim, by discerning and, to, and doing what is right, true, and best. I think that's a really good definition for for justice. Now, Dwayne Lindsay says, the servant is to rectify within history all aspects of phases of human existence, moral, religious, relational, spiritual, economical, social, in, in all of it, in order to fulfill the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The task of the servant is universal. It's to all nations to establish a just order. All we have to do is, is listen to the news. There's little just order that has been established in the earth. So that part of the assignment to the servant has not yet been fulfilled. So verses 2 and 3 says... You know, we read those. This is, now we move from the introduction of the preeminent servant onto his service. What sets it apart? Okay. His service is vastly unlike that of rulers and prophets and other leaders. Alec Macher, one of the great Bible scholars I've drawn on for years, uh, he sees this, this extraordinary service as, number one, forecast by Isaiah, Two, exemplified perfectly in Jesus as Messiah. And third, reproduced precisely in all who would serve the Lord in truth. Hey, Forge family, that's us. Number three, that extraordinary service is reproduced precisely in all who would serve the Lord in truth. So what does that look like? The service of God's servant is humble, quiet, simple, unostentatious. It is illuminated in the three verbs here, verses 2 and 3. It says, he will not begin with loud 
lament, with, with shrieking, with calling out for help. He's not going to lift up his voice that way. Number two, he will not raise his voice. And this is, this is intentionally structured so he, that this voice is what you raise indoors. You raise it with, to, uh, with family and close relations and followers, uh, committee meetings you're with, and it is an attempt to dominate and to shout down others. <clears throat> the servant will not raise his voice that way. And third, he will not make his voice heard in the street. So both privately and publicly, okay, inside, outside, okay, he's going to be quiet, unaggressive, unthreatening. His gentleness will be purposeful. Now, in the passage here, it talks about, you know, the bruised reed he will not crush, okay? Reeds were, do um, you know what a cattail is? That's, a, that's a, probably the best illustration we have in the Western world of reeds. Cattails, they grow, they grow tall, thin stalks, uh, fibrous, uh, wrapped in a, in a tight, circled kind of shaft, and they grow along the edges of rivers and lakes and swamps. In the ancient world, reeds were used to thatch with. Reeds were used to pound into fiber to make a type of paper. Um, and, 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 when, uh, and they were used, um, they could be used as weapons as well. But if it's crushed, if it's broken, if it's bent, it isn't very useful for much. Okay? And, and it says his gentleness will not extinguish a smoldering wick. So on a candle or a, you know, the, the ancient type of oil lamp, they would put a linen or a, a, a twisted fiber uh, wick into that bowl of oil and light it, and it would provide light to everything around it. But if it's smoldering and it's not doing its job and it's almost done, okay, it says of him, his gentleness will not cause him to extinguish even a smoldering wick. Now these terms, bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, are usually referred to as weak and oppressed people. To the servant, nothing is useless. It's not to be discarded, it's to be reclaimed, redeemed. Nothing is too far gone toward extinction. Christopher North, another scholar, wrote, he said, it is not what the Ived Yahweh is to do, but only what he is not to do here in, this, in these verses. Okay. And he introduces us to one whose task is without precedent and can only be described in negative terms. In other words, he, he's so different. He's so awesome. He is so... Uh, he's just an amazing character. And so the only way you can describe him, you can say, well, he, he's not like Cyrus, and he's, he's not like Isaiah, and he's not, you, know, you, you go through and you say all the things he's not, because he is so amazing. Instead, the servant is going to faithfully, truthfully bring forth mishpat. 
Do you remember what that was? Discerning and doing what is right, true, and best. Verse 4 it refers to the fact that the Spirit, it refers back to the, the, the Spirit has been put on him. And because the Spirit is on him, he will not get discouraged. He will not get bruised so as not to be able to stand. He will not be a, like a broken reed. And he will not be snuffed out and done away with until, until he has set up mishpat in the earth, justice in the earth. <clears throat> and it talks about the coastlands. Okay, another way to translate those, that, those words is the islands. We're talking about extremely remote regions of earth. This is not just for Palestine. This is for everywhere on earth that has a coastline. And all you have to do is look at a map and everywhere on earth has a coastline. Somewhere. And those who live there wait with longing for his law. They wait with expectancy. They wait with hope for his law. Now that means his teaching. The servant is going to come and teach. His authoritative instructions for life. He's going to have such an impact that the vast, untouched regions of earth will long for his teaching. Alright, let's read verses 5 to 9 of Isaiah 42. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have also, I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the peoples, as a light to the nations. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, to those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. It's a very interesting construction we start with in verse 9. It's God the Lord. It's Ael, Yahweh. Ael is the, the one who is indeed transcendent, but he is the creator God. In the beginning, Ael created the heavens and the earth. And then, secondly, it is the Lord who keeps covenant. He makes the covenant and he keeps it. Okay, and this, this God, this preeminent, transcendent, covenant-keeping God says, I am he who created the heavens. I am he who stretched them out. I am he who spread out the earth and its offspring." Now this word spread out is a metallurgist's term. You know, who takes a little pat of gold or silver, maybe an eighth of an inch thick, maybe the size of a silver dollar, puts it on, a, on an anvil and takes a, a light hammer and begins to hit it and hit it and hit it and hammer it and spread it and thin it and spread it out. That's what God did to the earth. It says he spread out the earth and its offspring, all its new life, 
all the vegetation, all the animals that give birth, all the insects and the fish and the birds of the sea and the sky. This new life, this offspring, that didn't come from some, for, you know, some fertility god of the Canaanites. Okay, that came from him. And he, El Yahweh, is the one who gives breath. It's the same word. Genesis 2.7, it says, God took, took dust and formed man and blew in his nostrils and he became a living creature. All right? It's that breath that he breathes out. It is the breath of life. Okay. Mankind is not the product of a self-existing evolutionary surge. This is the God who gave the spirit as well. Okay. And it's the Ruach of God. It's wind, it's breath, and it is mind. Mankind is a spiritual being and who is mental and personal. And, and when you get to the term soul, okay, man becomes a living soul, his entire immaterial consciousness is the soul of man. And then this Eloach turns and says, look, here, and I gave him the spirit to those who walk in the earth. Okay? This spirit, okay, is that ruach. Okay? It produces life, energy, activity, and direction. In verse 6, Yahweh directly addresses the servant. And he says, I called you in righteousness. I held you by the hand. I watched over you, and now I appointed you as a covenant. It's like, what? He has given this servant as a new covenant to the Amim. That means to the people. Okay, Often it is used of the people of Israel. All right? But then the next line says, and a light of truth to the nations. This covenant is going to open up to the Goyim, to the nations as well. So it's a new covenant to both Israel and to the nations who know nothing of this, of this God. You, my servant, he says, will be the means through whom the nations and Israel come into a new covenant with me. Verse 7 says, and you're going to open blind eyes. Certainly, when you see Jesus heal blind eyes, he never did it the same way twice. He does, but he does it repeatedly through the Gospels. Okay, from birth and from injury, he steps in and he says, enough of this, and restores vision to those who, who could not see. So it, it is, there's a physical component, and there are those that were willfully, spiritually blind. Remember the, the centurion at the crucifixion who looks up at the hanging, bleeding, dead body of Jesus on the cross just before the, the body's removed. And he, and he looks up and he says, surely this was the Son of God. That's an illustration of blind eyes being opened. Someone who had, he was just trying to be a good, healthy pagan and suddenly, he could see. Suddenly, his blind eyes were opened. 
So when you when you heal blind eyes and you open uh, willful blindness, you, you deal with it, then that ends the disabilities that people have. Okay? The servant is sent to bring out prisoners from, from, from prison, to lift them out of captivity. That ends their restrictions. They are free to go, free to serve. And then lastly, those who dwell in darkness. That's a transformation of their circumstances. See, that's what the servant, the coming Messiah, sets out to do. So let's read John chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 9. Here's what it says. John 1, 4, 5, and 9. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. Then in John 12, verse 46, it says, Right, Mark here, 1246. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Luke 418 says, the servant, excuse me, um, here is Jesus reading from the prophet of Isaiah in Nazareth. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the book, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In verses 8 and 9, back to Isaiah chapter 42, verses 8 and 9, you know, again, the Lord steps up and identifies himself. I am Yahweh. That is my name. Okay? When someone, it's, it, someone has a name, it, it is their works, their character, and their reputation that is in their name. So he is the covenant-keeping God. His works his character and his reputation is on the line as he keeps covenant. And Yahweh says, this is who I am. I will not give my glory to another. Nor my praise that's mine, that's due to me, to graven images. Okay? Now his glory cannot be shared. Now there are counterfeits around. Okay, there's false messiahs, there's false teachers, there's false teaching. Counterfeits that may have a coincidental resemblance, but they have no power, they have no future, they have no glory. They're, they're essentially paper tigers made out of, out of tissue. And they go, boop, and disappear from, from earth, from history. And then there's a command. Behold, look, and see the former things that have come to pass. Now we declare new things. The Lord says, all that stuff, how we got here, the former things that I declared to you. I said to Abram, your descendants were going to go down into a foreign nation 
and be captive for 400 years, and then you would come out and come here to Canaan. The Lord God accomplished that. He announced those former things. Okay? And he brought the nation of Israel into Canaan and gave it to them. He said, I'm going to make a house for you and a lineage, a perpetual lineage for you to David. And he did it. And now here, those former things, the Lord is turning away from them and he says, behold, the former things have come to pass, but I declare new things to you. All right, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. In other words, how you got here with all your, sil your silly guilt and shame and false worship and, and your own sense of, of, of well-being, flawed as that was, that's passed away. It's done. The old things are passed away. Behold, in Christ, new things have come and are coming. So, brothers and sisters, Forge family, all of you who are listening on the podcast, the fellowship of Jesus Christ, our King, has historically been active in the establishment of discerning and doing what is right, true, and best. Of establishing justice in the earth, okay? They've labored at it. That played out for centuries in taking in abandoned babies and orphans and elder care, hospitals, the abolition of slavery, you know, more recently the stepping into the to interrupt the human human trafficking you know, pathways, you know, and rescuing uh, and and caring for women out of sex trafficking, and, and so on. But in 1932, when the U.S. government stepped into the middle of the Great Depression here in the United States, and you know, actually around the world, okay, it enacted its mishpat. It, it put its judgment of how to feed, employ, house, doctor, and jumpstart the economy. And the church stepped back. Shame on us. Still with us. Shame on us. Today, now, Isaiah is proclaiming to you, the Lord Yahweh is proclaiming to you, now, if we claim to follow Jesus, the quintessential servant of God, who is still holding all things in his hand, today, we need to put on his gentleness, his faithful establishing of the right, the good, the best, and the holy. Second, we're being called to, to Yahweh and his continuous care and balance of all that is so that we're not fretful, we're not worried, we're not alarmed, we don't turn inward, and we don't withdraw. He holds us in his grip and he is prepared to send us as his servants into campuses, mom's groups, coffee shops, hardware stores, tutoring sessions, to go under bridges and into homeless encampments with his life 
of gentleness all over you, all over us, ready to flow, ready to be awesome. Not all of the first servant song has yet come to pass. So we get to participate in establishing God's priorities in our lives and in our outreaches to the lost, to the nations, even to the befuddled who are in churches. Walk in the kingdom of the servant people for his name's sake. Let's pray. Holy One, thank you for the servant, your only son. We want to be such servants too. Start in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our longings, in our jobs, at school, and at wherever you place us. Because there, Lord, you want to establish your justice there. Amen. All right, Forge family. I love you. We'll see you soon.